On this edition of the Scott Radley Show podcast, we are talking about the economy. Don't know if you noticed what happened on Monday with the stock markets, but we've now got coronavirus. We've got tech mines stopping. We've got blockades. We've got pipelines that aren't going through. What do we do? Where do you put your money? Should we be concerned? Oh, and then potentially coming up in the States, you have Bernie Sanders who love him or hate him is a different politician. If he were to become the Democratic nominee, we would be looking at spending like we've never seen in politics before. Would we, should we be concerned about our investments? And Don Robertson joins us. We will spend some time talking about what happened with the Leafs and backup goalies and whether this is the greatest story ever told or a complete farce. Well, we'll do all that. Stick around. Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. We want to get started today with, uh, I mean, this is nobody's idea of happy news. I don't think, don't think anybody's too excited when they look at their investments in the stock market and they see things going the way they did today. The Dow Jones closed at 1,031 points down today, almost 1,032 points down, 3.5, 3 3.6% loss in one Day And most of this is being chalked up to the coronavirus, which I don't know that one plus one necessarily equals two for a lot of people. Why would the coronavirus cause the stock market to tumble like this? Well, let me bring in Sean Moyer. Uh, we've had Sean on before. Sean is a, uh, he is a portfolio manager at Mandeville Private Client Incorporated, a guy who looks after your money. Sean, thanks for doing this today. Well, you're most welcome, Scott. It's great to speak with you again. So uh, coronavirus, we all understand the concerns about that from a health perspective. Why would the coronavirus suddenly cause the stock market to go crazy? Well, the thing that's important to know about the stock market is that it tries its best on a daily basis to discount the most current and relevant news and how that might affect companies going forward. So over the weekend, it's usually the most tumultuous time for news because the markets are traditionally closed for the most part over the weekend. And so there's several days worth of news that gets broken down on a Monday. And of course, over the weekend, there was some spikes that happened in the number of reported cases in South Korea and as well in Italy. And uh, this started to give the market some concerns surrounding whether this could turn into a pandemic. And, um, you know, so far, most of the reports have been out of China. And whenever there's data coming out of China, you have to always consider whether or not that's actually reflective of the situation. And therefore, when you start to move into a country like Italy or like South Korea, where we tend to consider the data maybe a little bit more accurate and up to date, then it starts to cause the market to take a little bit more of a concern and, and reassess the situation and say, has the news been accurately priced into where stocks are trading? It is, uh, there was a line in a story on CNBC today, uh, here's a quote, the second largest economy in the world, talking about China, is completely shut down, which, uh, so, I mean, obviously the, the center for all of this coronavirus is in China. We don't really know what's going on, as you say. I mean, we think we know, but who knows what you can trust or what you can't trust. Uh, does this speak in some way to just how imposing China's economy has become in the world stage? Well, it's not just. China's economy and and consumption and GDP, it's also their backbone and and the strength of their workforce. So one of the interesting things that I read over the weekend was the amount of generic drugs that are produced in China. And so if China gets shut down to a large extent in order to prevent the spread of the virus, 
maybe there's other key factors that we don't necessarily think of right away that might affect our health and our well-being. And certainly from the market's perspective, it affects supply chain. And so maybe a company isn't going to be able to deliver over the next quarter the amount of a particular good that they were anticipating. And so the market needs to adjust whether those sales forecasts are accurate. And then I think, especially over the weekend, what we needed to start to consider was, is this going to be just a one or two quarter you know, decision on, on whether or not things will be good or bad? Or do we need to start forecasting out three or four quarters? And is it just China's GDP or is it the world's GDP? So there's so many factors that go into you know, trying to come out with a a going concern in the, in the stock market on any given day. And you're the expert on this stuff, not me, which is why I have you on. But one thing that you hear all the time, that I hear all the time, is one thing investors hate more than anything else is uncertainty. And the, with the secrecy around what China is doing and how many people really are affected and how widespread this is and all that kind of stuff, so that we we don't really know what the impact on China is other than what we're being told. That, If uncertainty is a horror show for investors, this is the ultimate horror show. Well, that's a very good point. Uncertainty is absolutely not what the stock market likes. And it's, it's really because the stock market reflects us as individuals. There's, of course, math involved. And as I was talking about supply chain, logistics, things like that. But there's also emotion. And that's certainly what a day like today really riles up is the average investor's emotion when they come home and you know they're not normally used to hearing about the market on the news, but maybe it becomes the first or second story. And then they start to consider their portfolio and say, you know, I haven't thought about that for a while. And ooh, it doesn't look too, too good out there. So maybe I better check in with my portfolio and, and see how it's doing. Well, and then and we have, to- and then here at home, we've got the cancellation. It sounds like anyway, the cancellation of this tech mines project. And we've got blockades that were coming down today, but it's, you know, it's an issue that's still going on. And we have pipelines that don't look like they're going to be able to be built. I mean, there's a lot of things going on here that if you have money invested in the stock market, you may have some reason to be a little nervous. Yeah, you're absolutely right. 2020 has certainly not been a very good year when it comes to news flow. And, uh, you know, whether it started off the year with the U.S. and Iran sort of butting heads, and it just seemed to sort of compound week after week with a new story. What's interesting is during that time period, with the exception of the pullback we've seen today and last week on Friday, is the stock market has actually continued to rally very strong into 2020, despite all these negative headlines. And of course, if you've taken a look at your 2019 statement, you'll be very pleasantly surprised to see how good 2019 was. So this, you know, correction that we're sort of experiencing right now is the first time that the chink in the armor has started to show in the last almost 18 months of the of the stock market. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. We're just talking about the situation with coronavirus and the tech mine project being canceled and pipelines being blocked and railway lines being blocked. I'm going to bring back Sean Moyer, a portfolio manager at Mandeville Private Client Incorporated into the conversation because there's another story. And oftentimes uh, here in Canada, we look at American politics as a spectator sport more than anything because we don't vote on it. And it has an impact on us, but more from a distance. Well, There is a story that's developing south of the border that could have a very big impact. 
And that is the rise right now. We're seeing Bernie Sanders looking like he is going to roll to the Democratic nomination unless something changes. He would be the nominee for the presidency. And the reason I bring this up, you can love Bernie Sanders, you cannot love Bernie Sanders, but according to CNN, this is off their website, CNN uh, I don't think is going to be accused of being a Republican arm anytime soon. Um, here's some of the things that they say and have costed out for Bernie Sanders' program so far. Um, his uh, health, uh, health plan would cost $34 trillion over the next decade. His new Green Deal would cost $16.3 trillion over the next decade. Uh, $2.5 trillion to build 10 million more units of affordable housing. A trillion to improve infrastructure. $1.6 trillion to eliminate student debt. $480 billion uh, for free college education. A trillion to hire new teachers and make uh, JK free for everybody. On and on and on. There's a lot of spending here. And then according to, and I'm getting to my point, according to the Committee for a Responsible Federal Budget, if you follow his spending, by 2026, the debt of the Amer- of the United States would be 154% of GDP. So Sean, if you're a financial planner and you're talking to your client and there is a chance that you could see the American economy take a turn that a, t- a turn or take a change that it's never seen before, what does this do economically? What does this do for finances? Well, I mean, I think it comes back to having a framework first and foremost. That's always the most important thing. So when you talk about all these big news plans and how they'll impact your life, it's important to make sure that you believe in your financial plan, that you're saving enough money, which is the number one thing in your control, making sure you're diversified in your stocks, making sure you have fixed income, starting to explore that alternative universe, or maybe owning some real estate through a real estate investment trust or a a direct company ownership. Make sure that you have a sufficiently diversified portfolio that you believe in. That's step number one, because that helps you control your emotions when you start to hear these headlines that can be pretty dramatic. And whether or not they actually come to pass, we will worry about them nonetheless. And that emotional toll certainly wears on an investor over their lifetime. So believing in your framework is very important. But if you, but you if you if we're sitting here and again, whether I'm not telling people how they should like or not like Bernie Sanders, but clearly his plan is vastly different from anything the Americans have ever seen before from a presidential candidate. If it starts to look like he has a chance to win. Are people going to start panicking with the stock market? Well, I think it goes back to what we were talking about just before the break, where the market does not like uncertainty. And not only is Bernie Sanders going to be a different candidate for the Democratic Party, he's also going to be a completely different party than the one that is currently in power. Certainly, a lot of people were writing about how Trump looked like he was sailing toward a second term with the way the stock market was reacting early in the year. But yes, you can certainly ascribe the news with the Nevada win over the weekend as having some of an impact today as well. And I believe it will continue to have an impact right up until the election. Um, But we also don't really know how the markets will react either way with who gets elected. The amount of people who were very scared the next day when Donald Trump sort of won the election and was the incumbent president, or sorry, the uh, coming president, there was a lot of fear out there. The futures opened really down, and the market by the end of the week had rallied strong. And then the following year, we saw 12 straight months of S&P 500 in positive territory. So certainly, I think anybody who you interviewed 
that night of uh, the election would not have predicted that for the following 14 months. So outcome and the market's reaction cannot be predicted. I'd just as soon say the Leafs will win the Cup this year as having much certainty <laughs> is, you know, what's going to happen with the election and, and how the market will react. But yeah, the, the, the one thing I would think, and we, we only have a few seconds, unfortunately, the one thing I would think, though, that makes this unusual is that, as I said, Bernie Sanders, at least with his spending plans, would be unlike anything that the Americans have seen before. So when we talk about uncertainty, this is, you know, Donald Trump was certainly a different cat, uh, but his uh, economics were not all that much different from a lot of other presidents. This one would be way off the chart. I think it's going to be a paradigm shift if, if Bernie comes in. But then we have other people who would argue, and this is a little bit of a radical view, but you'd have other people that argue that given our trajectory and maybe some of the global warming and, and the climate change, given some of the responsible decisions that we want to make for our children and our grandchildren, maybe we need to start thinking radically. If the uh, world is going to end and there's going to be massive flooding and fires, that's not going to be good for the stock market either. That's, <laughs> that's, uh, that, that's a point. That is a point. If we're all dead, then it probably doesn't matter. Uh, Sean Moyer, Portfolio Manager at Mandeville Private Client. Always love having you on. Thanks for taking the time today. Absolutely, Scott. Take care. Uh, we'll be talking about this more because it's a fascinating story. Again, with that, with those spending promises, it does, if he were to get to be the nominee, it, boy, it does create a stark contrast and will make some people wonder what happens with money. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Let me bring in Don Robertson. Did you enjoy the uh, Leaf game on Saturday night? I did. Uh, watched it. Um, getting old, so we were playing cards. A guy, a guy I said I'd never be on a Saturday night is playing cards after you go out for dinner. Please but- tell me it wasn't Canasta. No. Oh, thank goodness. What's okay. that? I don't know, but it's a, sound, it's a card game that sounds like it's played by old people. Euchre. Oh, well, Euchre is another card game that seems... Is that what you're playing? <laughs> yeah. And uh, winning. See, I used to think bridge was the old person's game, and then I had a few people who were my age, friends of mine, who were in bridge, and I was like, well, maybe they're just really old for their <laughs> age, but, but canasta. I don't think anyone under 96 knows how to play canasta. I don't. I can't even spell it. Well, you could if you tried. No, I couldn't. Uh, K. No, okay, you can't. You're right. (laughs) right. Oh, by the way, um, some people are now guessing. So if the lines are ringing, hang in there because some people have, uh, the light has gone on. So if you're calling for the quiz question and the lines are ringing, hang in there. Ben will get to you as fast as he possibly can. So you're playing Canasta, or no, Bridge. You're playing Euchre. I lost my train of thought. You're playing Euchre and the game is on in the background? Heard it on uh, Driving Home. I was listening to... uh, uh, Jimmy Ralph, I, I got to flip this on. I, for some reason, I thought I knew the name of the goaler, and it turns out uh, for good reason. So, by the way, let me interrupt for one second. I said canasta is the game for old people. Referring to them as goalers also yeah. is is <laughs> indication that you might be getting up there. They Goal. haven't referred to someone as a goaler since Turk Broda. <laughs> That's what Cliff Fletcher used <laughs> anyway, to call. Carry on, our guy. So you're talking about the uh, the guy that they yanked out of the stands, the emergency goaltender yes. that played, uh, went in for the Carolina. David um, Ayers. Yep, went in for the Carolina Hurricanes and uh, was listening to uh, um, uh, Joe Bowen. And the first two shots went in. I'm going, wow, this is rather unusual. I didn't know the circumstances. Obviously, both the other goaltenders had been uh, put out of the game as I escaped from using the word goaler. Uh, <laughs> We're out of the game, so flipped it on, 
and uh, watch with amazement how a guy that used to play in the Allen Cup Hockey League yes. shut the Toronto Maple Leafs out for the third period. So he used to play in the league with the Dundas Real McCoys and Stony Creek Generals. And So here's his numbers from the year he played. He played in 2014-2015 with the Norwood Vipers. No longer a team that's in existence. He played eight games for them that year. Now, again, I think we have to reiterate, this is the guy that shut out the Toronto Maple Leafs, the highly paid, multi-millionaire... High-scoring. High-scoring, allegedly, Toronto Maple Leafs for a period of NHL hockey in a game that mattered. Yes. Really mattered. In his eight games in Allen Cup hockey with the Norwood Vipers, he was 0-8 with a goals against average of 8.90. So he was averaging basically nine goals allowed per game in his last five games... He played 44 minutes, 59 minutes, 30 minutes, 45 minutes, and 60 minutes. Gave up 11, 7, 8, 5, and 10 goals. <laughs> the guy was a complete sieve in the Allen Cup League. He was a complete sieve, and the Leafs couldn't score on him. Well, he only played one. He played eight games one year. Yeah, and and I thought because when they were talking about it, they were like, oh, he before that he'd been a junior B goalie. And so I thought, oh, he must have played like a few years of junior B. Apparently he played a handful of junior B games. Well, so his last... And week, why? Because he, he said, well, he said, I heard in an interview all he was doing with ESPN that he had basically become tired of playing hockey. He was just done with the grind. He'd been playing seven days a week and was just worn out. You know why you get tired of playing junior B? Because they won't let you play anymore. But he said on that interview that his last then real consistent level of hockey that he had been playing was high school hockey. And now he has been practicing with the Marlies and the Leafs, so he's been facing NHL shooters. It's not like he's just come from high school hockey and not played for five years and threw on the pads. I mean, that's the great story, but it's not exactly yeah. right. He has faced these, this level of shooting before, but Don, holy moly. It's it, it like it it I don't think it speaks to how good he could potentially be because all the highlight reels had the shots he was stopping, and quite frankly, you could have stopped most of them. Well, you've seen me. I, I have. came out to practice one time when Rick Vive played for you guys. I put the pads on, like George Plimpton. Like George Plimpton, they were still the old DNR horsehair pads. Yeah. They, they, I still have them in the basement, uh, and went out there to try and stop some Rick Vive shots and. You have mercilessly mocked me ever since then, and justifiably so. It was a bad choice. <laughs> but but having watched this, I'm not convinced that I couldn't have stopped as many shots as he did. Yeah. Because yeah. the two that went in, I probably would have let them in too, and the other ones all hit him right in the chest. Yeah. I, I could have done that. How, that's, that was my point, and I seldom have a good one. <laughs> but it doesn't speak to his ability it speaks to the fact that, first of all, in a game that the Toronto Maple Leafs needed to win, they mustered 10 shots on a guy that can't, that got run out of the Allen Cup League because he wasn't good enough to play. Now, run out of might be a bad way to put it. just given it up. We don't know. But I, he was giving up an average of nine goals a game. Yeah. That's not exactly begging a guy to come back. Norwood, Norwood weren't that good, but they weren't that bad. So, anyway, the kid's from Whitby, but 
<clears throat> and he seems like a lovely guy. Like he, he, he seems like a very endearing guy. And you listen to his interviews, and you're rooting for him. And all the people around who know him say they were rooting for him. It, it leads to my question, though, Don: Is this what happened on Saturday? Is this a great story, or is this a terrible, humiliating story? Both. It's a great story for uh, David Ayers mm-hmm. and. Every beer league goalie still playing at the age of 40 years old, and they're going, how do I get that gig that you get paid 100 bucks a game to go to the Leaf games, and if two goalies get hurt, you get to play? Now, all across the National Hockey League, there would be multiple times a year where, you know what, Radley, throw the gear on, get on the bench in case something happens, and nothing ever happens to the second goaltender like I, I, I'm sure somebody's looked it up, and it's been on uh, media reports. The last time this happened, well, the last it was time, Chicago. Yeah, it would have been the Blackhawks guy with uh, that goalie, and he, I think he played like seven minutes. What, well, he was the equipment manager of the Zamboni driver. Must be something about Zamboni drivers. But he, unlike this guy, and again, not taking anything away from this story because it is a terrific, fun story. That guy made a bunch of really good saves. Yeah, he did. He he, lo- he came in for a much shorter time, but he actually did some stuff, and you went, "Wow, good for him." Yeah, he's. Made some saves, right? But this, I mean, his top level before our league was a bit of junior B. So he's not like he's played minor pro or he's not Mike Mole sitting there who could actually go in and play the game for them, who'd played in the American League or Adam Monroe for the Steel Hawks who played a handful of games in the NHL. Look, Adam Monroe, just to interrupt again, Adam Monroe who plays right now for um, for Hamilton Steel Hawks, in a pinch, he could go in and would acquit himself fine. Like, he's a guy who has played AHL recently, yep. has had a great year in your league. Yep. And he, you could put him in there, and he and Mike Mole, too, on your team. These guys could go in there, and they would not look out of place. They're not NHL goalies at this point, but they nope. would look fine. Yep. This guy, he almost, it looked like he couldn't even skate when he stepped on the ice at first. He was even holding the stick weird. Well, it was probably because he had to go clean his pants. <laughs> well, I... It like, was, it, but it, it's goaltending in that circumstance, was, which is what makes it, to use your term, a terrific story is the fact that no other sport nor, nor, nor no other position in the National Hockey League does that happen. They don't have a couple extra defensemen sitting around or a couple extra forwards because if guys go down and you get suspensions, you're still going to go with 10 guys. You're not going to put a junior B guy out there to play defense because you're down to three. You move a forward back. Goaltending is the only position probably in professional sports where that can happen. First of all, there's only two, and it's a unique position. So, it's the again, that's one of the things that makes it so, so much fun to chat about is because it's the only position in pro sports that that can happen, and it happens so seldom, and that's exactly why the National Hockey League, have guys like that sitting around. The, he goes out with the Leafs logo on his pads, the Leaf logo on his mask, yep. probably going, I'm going to be in deep trouble when I go to practice with the Leafs tomorrow morning for stoning them. But, Don, we've had this, we've heard people for ages say, have this debate about what's the most difficult position in sports to play. And it always comes down to quarterback or home run hitter or, or NHL goalie. And I got to tell you, the NHL goalie fraternity can't be looking at this, loving it necessarily, because it looks like any Joe Schmo can stop some pucks 
if your team at least plays a little defense in front of you. Like I was on with Scott Thompson earlier this afternoon, and one of the things I said was, I've long argued that the thing the Olympics are missing is an average Putting Joe a layman in. in every event. So that when Usain Bolt takes off and finishes in 10 seconds or 9 point whatever. And you wobble through in 22.8. And you're still 8. at the 50, yard, 50 yeah. meter line when he finishes. You get a context to see how good the great ones are. Put a swimmer in with Michael Phelps and let's see how far behind you are. And that's the average guy. That would then make us appreciate how good the athletes are in the Olympics. Because when they're all great, you can't, the context isn't there. They all are great, so they all just look the same. But here, you've put an average Joe in, and he looks just fine. And that can't be looking good for the NHL goalies. And and I'm not taking anything away from them, but man, it's... No, but the Toronto Maple Leafs were inept. I mean, take some shots at them. I mean, how do... In any event, you know, I want to talk about your uh, analogy of quarterbacks and goaltending. Yep. If all the quarterbacks, for example, for the Hamilton Ticots got injured, I mean, it could happen. It'd be an awful fluke. There's got to be three injuries. Yep. Right? Because they got three quarterbacks. You know that there's another half a dozen guys in that team that at some point in high school or university have been a goaltender. A quarterback. Quarterback. (laughs) Because if they were a goalie, that would be multi-talented. That would be very good, yeah. (laughs) Bo Jackson. Bo Jackson was a goalie, too. He probably was. But if you, when you put a defenseman, because I've seen it happen, when you put a defenseman, put the goalie pads on them, they don't look like they've ever played that position before. But if all three Ticat quarterbacks went down with injuries, you yep. would never call some guy who's in the last row of the stands eating popcorn and say, hey, Don, gear up, you're in at quarterback. You would ne- So I'm trying to decide, and again, I think it's a terrific story, but this to me also looks rather Bush League for the NHL, that you don't have something, some system in place better than this. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. We're talking about, as everyone has today, David Ayers, this story about the backup goalie. Is this an embarrassment for the NHL that this is, that you could end up with this situation? I don't think so. I think it's a good news story. It is what it is. I mean, it's, it happened in Chicago with that kid, but it happens once Probably every five years, right? I mean, it's not a common occurrence. If it's a common occurrence, then maybe you say, what are we going to do with this? Start dressing three goaltenders? No, but I could see them making a new rule that says that the guy has to have played junior, like OHL or something within the past three years. Like you can't have someone who's a 42-year-old Zamboni driver. Well, that's, but see, that's how little, that's how low the percentages are they think it would ever happen. I know. But I mean, look, I, I remember... Back in the, remember in the Sydney Olympics, 2000, there was, you may or may not remember this story, there was a swimmer from Equatorial Guinea named Eric the Eel Musambani. Remember Eric the Eel? I, sadly, I do remember right. the name. <laughs> and Eric the Eel had only ever swum, there was only one pool in his swam. Swam, thank you. There was only <laughs> one pool in Equatorial Guinea, apparently, and it was a 25 meter pool. It wasn't even a 50 meter pool. And so, and he ended up in a draw, if you remember, with one other guy and the other guy false started and got kicked out. So Eric the Eel had to swim by himself and his time was, like he almost drowned. He was in the water so long. <laughs> they had lifeguards on duty. But after him, they put in new rules that eliminated that kind of, now it was a great What year story, was that? 2000. And it was fun and everybody loved it and Eric the Eel yeah. was a celebrity, but the Olympic people said, we can't have this kind of 
foolishness in our Olympic games. You know where, you know when it started? Eric, uh, Eddie Edwards. Eddie, Eddie the, the Eagle. Eagle. So you got the Eddie the Eel and or Eric. The I Eel saw and, Eddie the Eagle jump. Did you in Calgary? And you wished you and, prayed he didn't die. He and then I saw I saw him two days later on the street, and you see all these mob players, and I'm thinking there's an NHL player up there. Go walk by and say he with a pop bottle glasses on. <laughs> he was a legend. Yeah. But those two instances said, just because he's your country's best doesn't mean you can send him. But it was the removal of fun, good news, fun stories, but we need more serious. And I, I really think that that's what's going to happen here is they're going to, this will be the last time you see a story like this. There may be a third goalie that has to come into a game at some point, but I think they're going to put in some new rules that say it has to be a a independent person not working for the team and B someone who is of a high level who has recently well, played at a high level. The Leafs may put that rule in you can't work for us because it's more embarrassing that we get you ready to go in. I agree that they that they may want to well they may want to look at the standard, but you can't say the 42-year-old didn't go in and do his job. No, but had the Leafs played semi-decent, I think that at the end of that game, you would have had a huge, cri- not crisis, a huge c- controversy on your hands because you got a Leaf employee who could have been shelled. I mean, he could have given up 12 goals. The way he looked on those first two shots, he could have given up 12 goals. And then everyone's saying, you've got a guy who works for the Leafs intentionally letting goals in. You, he couldn't possibly be... Like, if if he had consistent continued to play as he did on those first two shots, you would have said nobody with any credibility could inte- could look that bad without trying to. Here's the bad part for the Toronto Maple Leafs. Like, we have a couple practice guys. Uh, Josh comes out a lot for us and so on, and he, he, he played a little bit of a game in Stony Creek last year. And, uh, you know, he's very helpful and so on. But our guys know what his weaknesses are. Like the Toronto Maple Leafs, who practice against this guy once in a while, have to know what he can't, what he doesn't do well. Whether his gloves slow or his, can't handle anything in his feet, they had the up, they had the advantage. They had ten shots on net. Do you think they pay any attention though? See, I wonder when they're practicing against a practice goalie if they're really paying attention to where he's weak or if they're just shooting. And if he stops it, he stops it. But you're not really thinking about it. Well, I think he's even thinking if, about them way more than they are. Even him. even if they don't think about it, they they had an advantage to shoot against sure. them. Sure, yeah, you got to get shots. All right, here's my here's to me, Don, the bigger question about this whole thing, and we lose track because you know, again, David Ayer is a great story. His he was on the Today Show, he was on ESPN, he was everywhere, and he's down in, in Carolina either tonight or honor. tomorrow. They're gonna be it's gonna be crazy. Here's yeah. here's what I was surprised at when I was uh, listening to the trades uh, today. I understand the Leafs tried to trade for him. Yeah, probably. Yeah, they tried to send Pick Tyson, him up. We want him on our Tyson side. Tyson Barry for him. Um, <laughs> but somehow, and it's not lost because it's clearly, I mean, Leaf fans have lost their minds over this story. Yeah. Understandably so. For a couple reasons. It. How bad the Leafs were. That's what I mean. Like, did you see Sheldon Keefe leave the bench? Yeah, he was just gone. Oh. But uh, during the game. Pissed. During the game when he's. I don't know if you say he was screaming at them, but he was vigorously talking to them. Most of them weren't even looking at him. They were, they had tuned him out already. And you go, really? And this is this is my question about this, Don. I I was born four or five months after the Leafs won their last Stanley Cup. I've not been alive to see the Maple Leafs win a Stanley Cup, and for ninety percent of my life, they've been a joke. 
the Harold Ballard years, which I saw right. all those, and through the 80s with 92, Brophy, 93, Dan Maloney and Mike Nicoluck and all those guys, <laughs> and and with Brad Motor City Smitty and Paul Higgins and, you know, like guys who should never have even been in the league playing and all this stuff. Anyway, I'm fascinated by how a franchise can seem to find itself, and there's a few of them that have been in this position over the years, that just cannot, no matter what they do, who they hire, changes they make, players they get, cannot seem to extricate themselves from putridity. And that's what the Leafs are. I mean, they have their moments. Every once in a while, you, you know, you make the playoffs, maybe you win a series or two, although it's been 15 years since they've won a series. After they beat the uh, Pittsburgh Penguins for nothing, they started building the floats again for the parade. But how do you? How does a franchise? How does an organization not be able to? F- all different people, all different players. It's not like there's anybody from the '80s who's still playing on this team that's carrying it over, and yet the organization has the same problem. You can't get out of mediocrity at best. How does an organization find itself there? I, if I had the answer, I'd be rich. Um, you talk about the Carolina Hurricanes. I was in Carolina the night they won the Stanley Cup versus the Edmonton Oilers. Think about that for a minute. The Carolina Hurricanes have won a Stanley Cup, and the Toronto Maple Leafs haven't been to the finals. The closest they were is '92 or '93 in the semifinals against LA. Twice in a row. Yeah. The last time Montreal won. So they can't get there. I don't. No, I don't. This time, they don't look like they're giving up on the people that are doing the job. If I, if I were running the Leafs, and oddly enough, I'm not for some odd reason, Brandon Shanahan didn't pick Mark Hunter, and I'd have picked Mark Hunter to be the general manager. And it seems like when they do get close, and I'm not dumping on Kyle Dubas, but I guess it's probably my age, but I like guys like Lou Lamorello and Brian Burke, and I I think those are the kind of guys the Leafs need, but they don't want them. They they think that the analytics are the way to go, and it brings you into the— But they didn't used to. I mean, this is a new thing. This is their latest thing, but before that, it was something else. Before that, it was, yeah. let's trade our first-round picks to get a bunch of old guys who are over the hill, and before Oof, that, it was— yeah. You know, we traded for Brian Leach, and we traded for well it, Owen Nolan and all these guys, and, and that was the generation before. And before then, it was do something else. And well, it's, it's first of all some of the some of the pressure that's on a general manager in Toronto probably can't be compared in very many places in the National Hockey sure. League. And the pressure to do well now, and remember Cliff Fletcher saying draft math, like he didn't care about the draft. Let's worry about today. We'll trade for good players. We'll get good players in the third and fourth round. The Leafs have always traded, except in the last five years, all their draft picks for immediate success because they think they're close. The other thing the Toronto Maple Leafs did for a number of years was, why don't we pay Dion Phaneuf what Chris Pronger's making, and for some miraculous reason, if we're paying him as much as that guy, he'll be as good as he is. They did that for years then they, you know, in a salary cap era, you can't do that. And they paint themselves in a corner now with salary cap. But, but that's the pressure that you're on in Toronto. But when you look at what happened last week with the Leafs and the, the track they're on right now, they had that good run with Sheldon Keefe when he first 
came on board and now it seems that they have, it sounds as if they've tuned him out by the, by, and when I say sounds like, I mean, when you watch how they're playing, it looks like they've decided they're going to, I didn't see that. But they, 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 they may have been feeling shame, like in slap shot. They may have been hanging their head going, oh my. But they look like they're not playing with any kind of juice. They're just, you know, it was, who was it? Um, Jake Muzzin says, if it's not easy, we don't want to do it. We, we want the game to be easy and otherwise we're not going to put the effort. That's one of their own players. How do you have guys making $10 million, $7 million, $8 million, not putting, not even trying? Look, and Don, like, uh, here's the point again. If you were making $10 million to do whatever it is you're doing, and maybe you are, I don't know, but if you were making 10 million bucks, you may not have a good day every day of your life. You may not be the best Don Robertson every single day of your life that you could be, but I believe wholeheartedly you would be working your butt off every day because you're being paid handsomely to do it. Your pride should step up. Where is that? Well, I've said on a Monday night previously, one of the problems that I see with the Toronto Maple Leafs is I know tough guys are gone, but they're not hard to play against. Like, they're, nobody says, oh, we're going to go into Toronto tonight, and I hate playing Toronto because they hammer you every chance they get. They're not hard to play against. They're, they're, they don't have a lot of mean guys in their lineup, and you don't have to be dirty, you don't have to be tough, but you have to be the guy that's going to take you into the boards and give you the extra shot on the way in so you think twice about doing it. The Leafs basically have none of that. That's what Jake Muzzin spoke to. If it's not easy, we're not interested. And nobody wins Stanley Cups if, unless you're interested in doing the hard things. My son is 21. He's not what you would call old school by age. He would be in the category, chronologically anyway, of the people who would allegedly love hockey in its non-violent, non-fighting new ways. But even he, when he on the weekend watching the game, when Tyson Berry got hit from behind into the boards and looked like he busted his shoulder, now he came back. Even he said, where's somebody from the Leafs yeah. sending him at? Like, they stood there and watched. Now, I, I am not someone who, and we've talked about this before, I hate those made-up fights at the start of a period or when you just face off, the puck drops, and two guys who are goons who are out there just, I hate that stuff. But this is something where one of your allegedly best players, or could be one of your best players, just got reamed from behind and maybe injured, and nobody does anything? Yeah. And even the non-fighters in the old days would go in and challenge a guy and at least fake it and wrestle him down, pretended that, you know, you got to pretend you care even if you don't that's care. It, that to me is the point. It, it sends, it's not about the fight. It's, it's showing the, up. It's the message to your teammates that I've got your back, that we're a team. As opposed to what it looks like right now. Somebody wrote the other day that they look or said on TV, I don't know where it was, that it looks like 20 strangers or 21 strangers. And that's what it was. You, there is no, it, if someone had jumped in and fought whatever his name is, uh, who delivered that hit on Barry, it's not about the fight. It's just about the message that I actually care about you as my teammate. And if someone's going to do that to you, like if Don, if you're walking down the street to use you as another example, if you're walking down the street and somebody jumps your friend, yep. do you just stand there and go, well, I'm a pacifist. I don't want to get involved. You would be in there helping yep, your would. friend. That's just the way life works. And whether you love the idea or not, it's part of the, I am with you. I've got your back. And that sends a message in the dressing room. I would think it's, it's good for the room 
and it's it's an important ingredient, which is why I've always said and been asked multiple times, you know, I think they should get fighting out of hockey. Well, you can't, and that's why you can't get it out. But apparently, the Toronto Maple Leafs can take it out of hockey. But somebody, you're right, somebody should have stepped in. A good example is Matthew Kachuk and uh, Kaysen in uh, Edmonton when they were going to play and all that crap from the game before, the Battle of Alberta's back. This kid doesn't want to fight Kaysen. He's, he's, it's not a fair match. He stepped up, got in a fight, got tuned up, but now it's over with. But at least he showed up for it, whether he liked it or not, and whether he went, this is going to be no fun at all, but he did it. Now that's the stage stuff you're talking about, but he manned up and took his lumps and did it. What you're talking about, somebody dummies your one of your better defensemen and hands, sends them headfirst into the boards, somebody's got to come up and at least push the guy. Paul, well, why, why would you not do it again? Why, I mean, why would they not be able to say, well, I can hit whoever I want, well, however I want, and it's only two minutes. We got rid of Tyson Berry, potentially, okay. for the playoff run, and I get a two-minute penalty. I'll take it. Back to my comment is that um, you, have to, you have to step up and do, show up and do something, even if, even if you're just, it's a pushing match. But back to my point is they're easy to play against. So you can do that, and there's no repercussion whatsoever. That's uh, that's not the way you're going to win a Stanley Cup, and maybe even make the playoffs. Just go back and watch the scene from Slapshot where Dave Killer Carlson is being stitched up and goes back on the ice to continue fighting while he's got this needle still in his lip, and you know in the dressing room afterwards, Dave's a killer. Dave's a mess. That that that'll show you how you how you f- build that team thing in the dressing room. That my friends is old time hockey. That is old time hockey, quite literally. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. You know what, Don? Let's just ride this thing right to the end. Um, but going back, because I got to be careful how I say this. Cause I don't want to be insulting. It's not meant to be insulting at all. But with how David Ayers did as a 42-year-old guy who can step in net and be competent at best, but he was competent, not a lot of shots, does this not say very clearly that when the day comes, and it may even be here right now, that there could be a woman that plays in the NHL as a goalie? Because I think there are women out there who are way, 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 way better goalies right now than David Ayers is. Yeah, but he he played a snapshot. If you're going to talk about playing in the league, if you're going to talk about saying could you play a game, maybe. Uh, um, Tampa Bay Lightning, Manon. Manon Rayom. But that was so she, far ago, and she was she was a, a publicity stunt. I mean, she wasn't yeah. really that. She was okay. But I think there are women now that are far better than he is and could hold their own. Well, they don't get the opportunity to back up. They don't get an opportunity to be... In, be put in a position that he was put into. I think the fundamental difference between ladies or women playing the game and men is size. Like, you know, these guys now, I mean, if you're not six foot, you can't, they don't even talk to you. Right. So to find a a, a woman that's six foot two or six foot three, and they, they can be good enough athletes. I just don't know if they have the size. Look at the monsters that are in net. Okay, let me put it a different way. I think that this, if nothing else, this and uh, um, probably this more than the guy in Chicago who had the the chance to play because he, as I say, he made he was okay. He he was no slouch. 
Um, this to me shows that at least the door could be open if you could find someone, a, a woman who was playing with the side. I, I I see no reason now that I'm not saying there's a I'm not saying there's a woman out there today who's ready to play, but it's getting much much closer. If that guy can hold the fort in an NHL game, there are women who are much better goalies than him right now. We are closer, perhaps, to seeing a woman in the NHL. It would be as a goalie. I, I don't think there's any chance that there's a woman who plays in the NHL right now or in the, any time in the near future not as a goalie. But I think we could see a goalie. Uh, not on. I don't believe so on a regular basis. I don't think that anybody's going to have a backup goaltender at, that I'm aware of that you would start saying that you're going to play 23 games this year for us because you're the backup and you're going to be the key to, to us getting into playoffs. I think if there was a goaltender that was that close to what you speak of, they would are already be playing in the Southern Pro League, which is not as good as our league. The Federal League isn't as good as the Allen Cup Hockey League. They would be there because that would also be a little gimmicky because you're going to you're going to have a, the goaltender from the U.S. Olympic team playing mm-hmm. for you. Shannon Zabados, the Canadian Olympic goalie, did that for a while. She was with a men's team. I think it was in the E for for a year. Yes, or, I did see that. Uh, and I think she was fine. I, like again, I'm, I'm not suggesting that it happens today, but I'm saying when you look at this guy, I can see the day coming that that could be under the right circumstance when you have someone. I mean, look, there's a couple other things you would have to have. You'd have to have a women's league where you could pull someone from just to get to that next level. And probably then you would have to have someone who played or at least faced, because he faced pro shots in practice all the time. So it's not like he stepped in and has never seen a shot like that. You would have to have had that experience. But Facing them and actually stopping them are two different things, as you found out. It is... From uh, an aging Rick Vive. Yeah, no, no. It's Look, it's not... uh, he made it, they made it look very easy because the Leafs were so atrocious. Yeah. I simply look at this and I think, you know, when we probably are a lot closer to seeing a woman come along who can play. I, as I say, I, I don't want to be insulting. I don't see any possibility that a skater makes it into the NHL, a female skater. And, and the only reason I say that is because Haley Wickenheiser, arguably the greatest female player of all time, she played in men's hockey. She went over to Finland and I think played in either the second or the third division. And she third was a division. second or third line center. I mean, yeah. it's there, there's physiological differences that make it a very different game. Uh, but, uh, but those a, pro leagues aren't as good as the Allen Cup Hockey League. But there is a day coming. I can see it. Yes. Where, where if a woman is going to play in the NHL ever, it's going to be as a goalie. And I, you know, all you got to find is that freakish, athletic, very large woman, the six foot two or six foot three, as you say, who doesn't choose basketball or volleyball, yeah. chooses hockey, plays net, and is really good, and I don't know where you find them, but I think if, if nothing else, this guy proved it's not a ridiculous, ridiculous, ridiculous concept. Don, thanks for coming in today. Thank you, Scott. Uh, your next game? This Friday against the Brantford uh, Blast. At home? At home. At home. Real great, Meyer. 7.30 Friday 7.30, Dundas Real McCoys. Uh, check them out. Your playoffs are coming up fast. We're down, we're down to nothing. There you go. So? Out, uh, outshot them 18-6 to six in the third period last night in Brantford and didn't score a goal in the third or in the game. Outshot them almost 2-1. to one. I don't know why we can't buy a goal. Well, is David Ayers playing net for them? He might be. Just check that out. Good idea. <laughs> and Ben... Back in the seat and his first time back here 
was moderately okay. The Scott Radley Show. Weekday evenings from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML. The Scott Radley Show podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Radley. Thanks again for listening, and do not forget to subscribe to this podcast. It is free. You will never miss an episode. And also, be sure you rate us and review us. Whatever you think of us, we'll take it. Thanks for listening.